0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. We'll be focusing on verses 6 through 14, but we'll read the, the whole chapter. This is Malachi chapter 1. This is the eternal word of God, eternally true. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation, And appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says we have been beaten down. But we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory. And the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this. And you will say the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father. And a servant is master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were among you, oh, that there were one among you, who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it. And that you say the table the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit. Its food is to be despised. You also say, how, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord. But cursed be the swindler, who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. be Be seated. In previous weeks, I described the mindset of the people of God during the work of the prophet Malachi, the people had become very cynical toward and dismissive of God himself. The prophet exposes that attitude in the first few verses of this book in response to an expression of the love of God towards them The prophet has them responding with this cynical question. How have you loved us? Not only was there no fear of God among Israel at this time. There was no respect for their creator. No fear and no respect. They had forgotten all the times that he had fed them and rescued them and protected them and saved them through the ages. They were beginning to think it was a curse rather than a blessing to be under the, might, under the sovereign hand of Almighty God. The indictment against the unbelieving and cynical people continues in our passage, particularly the indictment now comes and turns toward the priests. In the book of Exodus, and particularly the book of Leviticus, we read of the rules for the work of the priesthood. In, in a nutshell, they were to do the work of the temple... And the work of the temple was this, entering into the presence of God. The high priest entered the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. God told Israel how to approach him now that mankind had been defiled by sin down to the fabric of the priest's clothing, every element of the sacrificial system and temple ritual was defined by God himself. God required... That the animals that were sacrificed in particular were unblemished animals. Right? Deuteronomy 17 says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep which has a blemish or any defect, for that is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. See, God is holy. God is holy, and those who approach him must. Approach him in holiness. And he is the one who defines those rules of how to approach him. And so let me read to you a bit of the ceremony that the priests were to follow on the Day of Atonement from Leviticus chapter 16. Hear this and hear its detail. Hear what's laid out here. And what it speaks to you, to us, about the holiness of God. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Right, so this is on the same day as Nadab and Abihu die for offering strange fire before the Lord against God's command. When they had approached the presence of the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. So the first thing is, is he's not to go in there or he's going to die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for his sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull, of, and so on and on it goes, with a very detailed detailed description down to the laying of the hands on, on the animal, down to the, the, the undergarments that he was to wear, down to the fact that Aaron had to be consecrated before he entered in, so that he could enter in in holiness. Right? And then the place has to be consecrated. All these rules for entering into the presence of God. Because he's holy. And so we can't just enter into the presence of God as sinners without some sort of atonement. By Malachi's time, so this is uh, many, many years later, many hundreds of years later. By Malachi's time, the priest had no respect for God. And so all of these rules... For approaching God seemed unnecessary and rather ridiculous and just really a burden. Those who do not think God is holy will approach his holy presence casually. And that's what had happened to Israel during Malachi's time. And so the the passage that we're looking at in Malachi starts with this verse. A son honors his father. And a servant is master, then if I am a father, this is God speaking, if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? And again, in response to the words of the Lord, the priests deny their sin. How have we despised your name? How, How have we done that? And the Lord gives them an answer, though it is likely they knew the answer before he gave it. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. Once again, the cynical retort. How have we defiled you? Come on. You know, it's just like, come on. We've done all of these things and and you're getting upset about the way we've done these sacrifices. They're dumb anyway. Once again that cynical response how have you defi- how have we defiled you in that you say the table of the lord is to be is to be despised right god says that in response to them in that you say the table of the lord is to be despised that was what the priests were teaching don't respect any of this stuff that's going on you know j- just this is, this is foolishness. This is old-fashioned. You know, that we've come a long way. We've progressed. We don't need to do these old things anymore. Aren't we bored of this? Thousands of years we've been offering these animals on the Day of Atonement. It's getting rather boring. Look at that. The priests who were to treat God as holy before the people were now the ones mocking the things of the Lord. Though they were the ones who were to mediate between God and man, God and the people, and bring the people as their representative before God once a year, they were now the ones who were teaching the people to despise God's requirements. right? And to despise God's requirements, to despise God's laws, is to despise God himself. right? It is to think that holiness is detestable and not to be imitated, and not to be promoted. The holiness of God is despised today as well, right? And it's the priests, the pastors, who often are the ones teaching the people to despise God's holiness. Right, R.C. Sproul wrote in the beginning of his book, The Holiness of God, he said, the idea of holiness is so central to biblical teaching that it is said of God, holy is his name. His name is holy because he is holy. He is not always treated with holy reverence. His name is tramped through the dirt of this world. It functions as a curse word, a platform for the obscene. That the world has little respect for God is vividly seen by the way the world regards his name. No honor, no reverence, no awe before him. If I were to ask a group of Christians, he goes on to say, What the top priority of the church is, I am sure I would get a wide variety of answers. Some would say evangelism, others social action, and still others spiritual nurture. But I have yet to hear anyone talk about what Jesus' priorities were. What is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. The first line of the prayer is not a petition. It is a form of personal address. The prayer continues. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Right, if the Father... And notice that our text is dealing with God as Father. He says, am I not a father? If the Father is not reverenced in the world, we expect it. Fatherhood in general is hated in our culture, so the archetypal Father is going to be especially vilified. He's going to be hated. But if the Father is not respected in our churches... What then? If the holiness of God is not something those who claim to worship the Father are willing to think about and grapple with, what then? Right? Will we know the presence of the Lord? Will we know the Son of Righteousness? Will we know the Holy Spirit? If holiness is something that we simply think is passé. Revelation says, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Day and night, all the time, they're saying, holy, 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 and God receives that as what is due to him. Those living creatures and the angels and the martyrs, Whose souls are before God. Acknowledge God's holiness day and night without ceasing. And in our heart of hearts we think that God is a pushover. Someone to be bargained with. Right? A despot who afflicts his people with his holiness. Cosmic killjoy. Right? Someone who likes to rub our noses in his holiness. Isn't that how you think of his holiness? Isn't it that it it somehow inhibits you? That God's holiness is, is like an affliction to you? But is it not something that is beautiful in the cause of all of our praise? Should it not be that? Stop and think for a moment that it is because of our sin that we, like Adam and Eve before us, think the holiness of God is something to run and hide from. But God in His mercy has made for us a way to enter into His holy presence without being consumed, right? That is the whole point of the Scriptures. We go from being cast out of the presence of the Lord to rules for approaching Him, to the coming of the Son of God, to union with Christ, to resting in eternity in the presence of God. The whole of our lives is one of coming to terms of understanding how to approach the holiness of God. Right? If we have no regard for holy things, then we do not care about that approach. And ultimately we will care nothing about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as an atonement for our sins. Christianity will become a social club. Verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? So despising the holiness of God, they determined that they would not give to God what he required. They held back the best animals For themselves and gave to God blemished animals, the blind ones, the lame ones, the sick ones, the ones that weren't producing in milk, the ones that just were not, just, you know, had the coat that was defiled. God says to them that even their governor, the mayor of the city, would not accept such gifts. Why do you think God would accept them? The people despising God's holiness were half-hearted in their approach to God. Again, I think this, this side of the cross now, this side of the cross after Christ's sacrifice, our access to God through Jesus Christ has been changed. That's the point of Hebrews 10, right? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, that he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, Right, So we have this new and living way by which we enter in. So through the blood of Jesus Christ, by union with him, we enter into the holy holies through the veil with full assurance of faith. But that does not keep the Apostle Paul in the next passage in Hebrews from going on to say something about the holiness of God. Right, Though, though he's writing in the New Covenant, Right, He goes on and says this, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And as regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And as insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is after... This is after Hebrews has laid out this new and living way. We come th- with full assurance into the presence of God through the veil. And then it's like, but, but God is still holy. God is holy. And if you trample under the foot underfoot the Son of God and regard His blood as unclean, watch out. You see, those who profess Christ can fall into the same sin as the people did during the time of Malachi. Do we hear the weight of those words? How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant which he has, through which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Notice that it says, regard as unclean the blood of the covenant. That is to despise holy things. That is precisely what the the priests of Malachi's time were doing, despising the sacrifices. Begin to despise the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you are committing the same sin. And this is to think lightly of our sin. We do not repent, we do not tremble, we do not confess, we do not feel the weight of our sins. We simply presume upon the grace of God and move on, keep everything hidden. And all of that is true because we have no sense, no ongoing sense of the holiness of God. We know it intellectually, but we, we just don't feel it in our bones, so to speak. Nonetheless, we make our prayers and we have tons of expectations for how God can continue to serve us. Right. Verse nine. But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Our prayers must follow our holiness, right? And our unholiness does have an effect on, our, on whether God receives our prayers, right? You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered, right? So in essence, he's saying, if you sin against your wife, man, if, you, if, you, if you're unholy in the way you're living, your prayers will be hindered, right? You may be praying. You may be praying more often than not, but God will not receive those prayers. The husband who disregards God's holiness then sins against his wife, and his prayers will be hindered. Verses 10 and 11. Malachi 1, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you for for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense is going to be offered in my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The work of the temple, of the sacrifices, above all else, should have demonstrated right to the whole world, to the nations, that God was holy and those who approach Him must be holy. He, of course, provides the way, but the priests of Malachi's time had rejected that way. They did not think God was worthy of the best. They gave Him second best or even third best blemished animals, impure grain, incense offering in someone else's name. The priest had become not a means of holiness for the people, but a catalyst for their further unholiness, giving them sanction for their sins. Verse 12, but you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. Then, verse 13 and 14, deeply expresses their disregard for God. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. How tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it. Says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery. They won't even bring their own, but they steal in order to bring their sacrifice. And what is lame or sick? So you, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? Says the Lord. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it. But sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king. Says the Lord of hosts. And my name is feared among the nations. He's telling the people of Israel. That he's a great king, they should know that. They should know that. They are the people who should be saying that to the world. And here he is saying, Have you forgotten? Now, taking a step back, one of the reasons the unfaithfulness of Israel is so terrible is because they were to be the people, the descendants of Abraham that were to show to the world the blessings that came from worshiping God Almighty. They were to be the people through whom God showed forth his holiness. They were to be the people through whom the blessings of God flowed out to all the nations. Here's God's covenant promise to Abraham, the father of Israel. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who, who curse you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed." When that people and her spiritual leaders begin to say that God is not worthy to be honored, that his table is to be despised, that working for him is tiresome, well, their calling to be a blessing to the earth is entirely forsaken. It is any wonder then that this nation would be thrown into exile, punished for her apostasy and infidelity. She was promoting the despising of God's name. That's what she ended up doing. She, she who had been set apart by God, cleansed by God, after being found squirming in blood, that people had come so far that they despised the Lord. The apostasy of the people is almost complete, and there will be no going back. It will be the time, it will be time for the Son of God to fulfill the covenant promises in his world right in in him would be the yes and amen of all God's promises what Israel would not do Christ would do he was faithful he glorified God on the earth he honored God's table he did not think working for him was tiresome but he did it all willingly but dear brothers and sisters remember again the exhortation of the apostle Paul in the 11th chapter of Romans We must not be arrogant and rebellious like Israel. You will say then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he's talking about how the Gentiles have been grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. Right, The Jews, branches, broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And our minds, our reformed minds start like, start grinding. Right? Our reformed minds who believe in election and, and you know, this breaking off and breaking in, it just it does not compute. But the point is, is you, you must not be arrogant. God is holy. He is always holy. He has always been holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. Right? When we honestly stop and think on the work of the church today, do we think the church in America is being salt and light? Or is it, broadly speaking, promoting the despising of God? Perhaps another question will help us answer that one. Do you think the church is upholding the holiness of God before our culture? Do you think the church is embarrassed by the commands of God and the testimony of Scripture and the holiness that is set forth in these pages? Do you think we, you and I, are sober minded when it comes to our approach to God, or do we essentially sin? So that grace may abound. Right? Do we live in a day and age where the church and her members act and believe a certain way because they know deeply that God is holy and as such is to be feared? I think we'd say no. We don't live in a day and age like that. There is no fear of God. I think this first chapter of Malachi nails the Reformed Church today. We throw conferences that mock the holiness of God. We throw conferences meant to mock the holiness of God. We are infatuated with celebrity Christians who sell us a half gospel. We think about how tiresome the worship of God is in sleep through our worship services. Oh, how tiresome. Dion's preaching again. We think about the fatherhood of God and we think that the fatherhood of God is something to be protected from rather than to embrace. We give to God second best and blemished sacrifices, right? We refuse to tithe. We refuse to prepare for worship. We refuse to do the work of self-examination. We refuse to give ourselves fully over to the joy of the Lord. We refuse to even raise our hands when the song exhorts us to do it. We're pathetic. We are pathetic. We're committed to personalities and disconnected from the truth. And so much so that there are very few churchmen, very few who serve anyone other than themselves, right? We are rich. We're rich, but the church in America is poor. Think about that. We question God and wonder at his goodness, right? While surrounded by blessing after blessing after blessing, having an easier life than any people group in the history of the world. And we're like, God's cursing us. I can hear myself saying, in the church of today, saying these cynical questions to the Lord today. How have you loved us? How, how have we despised your name? You know, how have we defiled you? Dear brothers and sisters, we do not live in a time when the people of God demonstrate to a dying culture the proper fear of the Lord. Malachi's warning is for us, right? We must be committed to honoring God as God, not simply as a replacement for all the systems of the world. You know, like... like uh, Clinical psychologists told us we need a lot of self-esteem, so God just becomes our source for self-esteem. No, we need to begin living as if God is God Almighty. Not some sort of substitute for all the systems of the world and their output. God is a great king. God says of himself, I am a great king and my name is feared among the nations. Would anybody get that impression from the church today? If someone were to observe you and your family for a week, would they say they saw you affirm what God says about himself? I am a great king and I am feared in all the earth. Would they see you giving thanks very deeply because of God's gracious disposition towards you in Christ Jesus, right? Would they see you anticipating worship and longing to be in his presence, right? Would they see you falling on your knees to pray to him? Would they say, man, they serve a great king. She serves a great king. May it be that people observe our behavior and say to others that he does indeed serve a great king and he lives in the fear of the Lord. God, work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. It's time for us to stop being embarrassed by our faith. To be embarrassed by our faith is to despise God and be no better than these priests of the Lord who sniffed disdainfully at the table of the Lord, right? It's time that we started to live as if Jesus Christ is king and that we are citizens of his kingdom. It's time. How does that apply to you? Well, it applies in a thousand ways. Why don't you go think about that, right? It applies to fathers in a thousand ways. It applies to you where you work in a thousand ways. It applies to you as we sing the next song or whatever we're doing next, right? It applies all the time. Are you living as if Jesus is king and he is a God to be feared in all the earth? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the sting of this passage we thank you that it wakes us up from our slumber, that it, it pushes us off the couch of our faithlessness. Father, I pray that we would, we would fear you, that we would walk in s- circumspectly. Father, that we would all the time that we come into your presence, especially to worship you, that we would do so at least with a few thoughts of your glory and your holiness. Better yet, with hearts and minds filled with your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.